What's up? This is NS Scanner from your Boston Celtics and I just want to say what's up to my boy Gally over at B-Town Action. I hope you guys are doing well. See you at one of my games. What up? This is Dwight Howard. You're listening to my boy Chris Gally here on Bookie Nights Podcast. What's up guys? Brian Scalabrini, a.k.a. Scal, and I want to give a huge shout out to my boy Gally and the rest of the crew over at Bookie Nights, alright? For the White Mamba, I'm out of here. See ya. Let's go, B-Town action. Hello, everyone. This is Bruce Buffer, and you're hanging out with my friend, Chris Galley. And now, it's time! Hello, everyone, and welcome to an impromptu Bookie Night show. I'm Galley Gambles being joined by my neighbor to the north, Mako Bankroll. And later on in the show, uh, we're going to have my buddy Uncle Ron. He's going to provide us with some F1 insight for this big race this weekend. And um, But before we get into that, Mako, bienvenue, my man. <laughs> Merci, comment ça va? Yes, it's, it's, it's a ritual. And for, those, <laughs> and for those of you that have followed Mako and myself, whenever we get together, you know the show is going to be very, very UFC heavy. And there's a UFC, huge UFC card this week. Uh, well, this weekend, rather. Um, one thing we want to talk about is he's in Canada. I'm here in the States. We have two different style, uh, two different styles of betting odds. I have the traditional, in my traditional American odds, where we use terms like plus 300, plus 400, minus 150, and so on. And he has the decimal system where it's like, okay, uh, 1.19. And that, that to me is a head scratcher. So um, I have a converter here, and that comes out to uh, the 1.19 decimal. That converts to minus 526 which is an implied probability of 84%. Mm. So what I, what I want Mako to do is, you know, educate me on the decimal betting. How does it work and how do you instantly look at it and say, I know if I put X amount down, I am going to win X amount or lose X amount, so on and so forth. Well, it's not, it's not like based on how many times you put 100. It's just, whatever the amount of your bet is, if you win, what you get back is your bet times 1.19. I feel like decimal is way, way simpler. It's like you guys being on the imperial system. Isn't that simpler? Am I crazy? No. I mean, if, if that's all that means. So if I put... That's ten, all that means. <laughs> so if I put 10 bucks... On yeah. if I put ten bucks on um, let's let's say Volkanovski because that's that's what mm. I that's where I got this from uh, sports sportsinteraction.com the odds on Volkanovski to win a one point one nine which means if I put ten dollars on him to win I'll I'll get eleven back eleven ninety oh yeah eleven point nine back yeah just yeah. about twelve bucks simple I guess that is kind of simple. <laughs> but I, 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 I didn't know, see my mind immediately goes to, okay, well, what the hell is that in the American odds? Like, how do I, how do I convert that? Like, yeah, okay, minus so minus five twenty six. I have no clue how to do that math. Here's here's one example of where it's way simpler. It's like, for let's say you do a parlay, right? Yep. Like, how do you calculate your odds without like using a calculator with American odds? Like. You have a minus 400, you have a plus 100, you have a whatever. Like, you can't calculate that with decimal. It's just like 1.9 times 2.4 times that, and then you get your odds for the parlay. Like, you can do that in one second on your phone, just the calculator. Right. But if you want to do like a, yeah, like a American odds parlay, like you can't, you can't fucking calculate that on a calculator or in your head. It's like fucking weird. Uh, no, you cannot. No, you cannot. I, I literally use a, a poly calculator and I just type in all my odds and then the wager and then it will auto calculate for me. So it's more complicated because you can't. Oh, hundred percent in your head or on just a regular calculator. Yeah. I learned American odds and now 
I'm more used to them. And it, it's kind of weird because even though it's more complicated, now I don't, I don't think in decimal anymore. I should, but you Americans fuck me up. <laughs> Uh, well, I apologize. You yeah. guys are fucking up the whole world. Listen, uh, once again, no argument for me here. If if they didn't have to say, oh, let's take it and do it this way. Well, why? It's working out just fine everywhere else. Why the fuck mm. do we got to do shit differently? Um, but yes, uh, from the temperature all the way down to how far you drive your car to how long your car is to, yeah. you know, to placing a bet, the whole nine. Um, but hey, that, that's fu- that's fucked up. When you cross the border and go to the states, and then all the speed limits are different, and your fucking car has kilometers on the fucking thing. Oh You're not used boy, to it. I never I even know, thought about that. They still have miles on it. I remember back in the day there were both. But, yeah, uh, I never thought about that. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't look at my car. dashboard too often to find out if I'm going, you know, KMs or MPHs. Uh, yeah. Oh. But anyways. UFC 273, this thing's absolutely stacked. And you know it's going to be stacked when you get the boa constrictor fighting on the double undercut. He's on the early prelims. You know what I mean? Like, the early... Oh, uh, Linux? Yeah. He's he's on the early prelims. He's he's uh, fighting uh, uh, Jared uh, Vandera. He's from uh, Dana White's Contender Series. Dude kind of looks like Randy Orton in his mugshot on UFC.com. I thought that was kind of funny. But uh, these guys are both minus 110 at the moment. And if you like Olenek by sub, he's at, he's at plus 150. He's 44 years old. few losses in a row. Like, this, this dude should retire. He was, like, over 40 and on a winning streak. And so, yeah, sure, keep going. But if he loses this, well, this type of guy might just go to, like, Bellator or one of the Russian leagues. Uh, he'll go. He'll go to. Uh, this is a fourth in the row and gets cut. But um, he'll go to Eagle with Khabib. Yeah, that'd be a yeah, nice little. Uh, that'd be a nice little selling point for him. I think he claims to be Russian when it's convenient, and he claims to be Ukrainian when it's convenient. Oh Jesus Christ! Oh, but I mean, yeah, I was like, I didn't expect to. <laughs> I didn't expect to get here from there. But okay, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways. I have a pick for this fight. Like the the total rounds, the over under one point five is a coin flip. I'd go over. Yeah, I don't see Olenek fucking grinding him out to submission in the first round. I think he's really experienced. I don't think he's gonna get knocked out in the first round either. I like I like the I like the over on the rounds. Uh, over one and a half here in the states on DraftKings, you can get that at minus one fifteen, and I, I actually agree with you because. Olenek's a vet. Uh, Vandera, he's brand, he's brand new to the, uh, to the UFC. He knows he's in the, the ring with a, with a vet. So I think the first round you can pretty much throw right out the window. And yeah, then... It um, be a slow start. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's worth the, the slight minimum juice there at, uh, at minus 115. Let's go on to these prelims here. Uh, first fight, Mickey Gall. Versus Mike Malott. Mickey Gall, since defeating CM Punk back in 2016, has gone win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, and, and here we are again. So uh, what are your thoughts on this fight here? Mike Malott, he's a Canadian. He took, like, I think something like fucking at least five years off the sport and then came back and all of a sudden he's he's big time. Like, I don't... I don't get why he's this much of a favorite. But Huge favorite. Gall has had some disappointing fights. Like he got beat by Diego Sanchez. Like I don't know. Like this this happened maybe like two three years ago. This was back in 2019. It was back in uh, UFC 235, and he just yeah. got the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the second round. By old Diego Sanchez with a batshit crazy trainer so that is kind of hard but like i mean i think he's still got like name recognition because yeah he beat cm punk and then he beat sage northcut and that was a good win like northcut was was supposed to be the new poster boy you know yeah and that's that's what started his win loss win loss win loss win loss Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, Mike Malotti is a huge favorite at minus one ninety five. Mickey Gall plus one sixty five. That's like mid, 
No, that's that's big, dude. That's double. Right. You know, well, you, you're risking two hundred bucks if if you want to win a if you want to bet on Mike Malott to to win a hundred. Like one point five. That's not bad. I think he's training at Alpha Male now. He's he's with Uriah Faber and company. He sure is. Yeah, I think that has an effect on the odds, even though uh, he's not very active. He took a break from uh, 2017 to 2020. And before that, he took a break from 2015. Yeah, he's like not active at all. He's had two fights in the last, what, five years? Despite that, he's a favorite. I guess people are really uh, disenchanted with uh, Mickey Gall. And that's that's sort of my point, and it, which is why I'm um, I'm really thinking that there's a ton of value on Mickey Gall. Um, you know, Mickey Gall by sub, like ninety nine percent of his wins have been by sub. So, well, by sub, that's not bad. Plus three twenty five. You can get it at plus three fifty on DraftKings. So I think there's tremendous value on Mickey Gall by sub. If you want to get cute and just have Mickey Gall win in round two. It's plus eight hundred, or even round three, plus fourteen hundred. But I, for me, I'm gonna go with Mickey Gall to win by sub at plus three fifty. No, I think that I think there's value. I think uh, Malad is unproven, and all of Mickey Gall's best wins were against like inexperienced people. You know, like his most embarrassing loss was Diego Sanchez, who has a ton of experience, and his most impressive wins were against. CM Punk, Sage Northcutt. I think it's a coin flip and money line. He's plus 155. I like the money line. So we did plan on talking about the uh, the Rosen strike and Tabora fight, but Tabora, probably about an hour or so ago, um, ended up getting sick. He's pulled from the fight. So uh, we will discuss the main card after we do uh, an interview with Uncle Ron about the F1, the big F1 race this weekend. We will be right back. All right, guys, let's bring in our guest for today. You know him from his podcast, Cable Was the Babysitter. Let's welcome the real-life cable guy. Welcome, Uncle Ron. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, Gally. How you doing today, man? Oh, just wonderful. Um, you know, let's, uh, let's address the elephant in the room right away. I, uh, I cried twice in my adult life. The first time was uh, in 2013 when I had to watch Corey Crawford skate around the ice with the Stanley Cup. The second time I cried in my life, I had to watch an even more inferior goalie, Jordan Bennington, do the same just a couple of years ago. You want to talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, I do want to talk about it because I am a Jordan Bennington guy. I have a Jordan Bennington guy. Oh, you're the one. Oh, yeah, I'm the one. Yeah, I'm, I'm his fan. Uh, yeah, you know, Bennington, uh, I, I, we're talking, of course, about the 2019 Stanley Cup, which the St. Louis Blues won over his Boston Bruins folks uh, in spectacular fashion. Uh, I actually got to go to one of the games here in town, the one that we won, too. So it was pretty amazing. Uh, a life changing experience. And for a lifelong hockey fan, you know what I've been looking for my whole life, more or less. And I'll be honest with you, I actually kind of got less into hockey after we won the Cup. I just like, I felt like the pressure eased. You know what? I tell you something right now. In 2004, once we won the World Series. Yeah. That's kind of same with me. I mean, I could, I could take or leave baseball, but it wasn't because I wasn't really interested in it or because I could finally exhale. It was more or less because everyone came out of the woodwork and said, oh, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm like, no, you're not. You can't name two people on the team. And it's like, I've been watching this team my entire life. But... That happened too. Yeah. I, I've got a, a, my best friend, you know, when I, I've known him 25 years and he didn't know Dick about hockey until about six or eight years ago. And basically because I 
drug into games and things like that, he became a fan. And he's a little richer guy than I am. So now he has like club seats, all inclusive oh, you know, for the whole season. Of course, <laughs> he has to go and, and show everybody up. But it, it does still bother me a little bit when he talks like he's a long time, you know, OG fan. And I'm like, dude, you don't remember David Backus when he was a rookie. Right, and exactly. I remember 2007, baby. I remember sitting alone in the upper deck, you know? Yep. Uh, but, but no, I, I, I'm a huge Blues fan. I actually just went uh, Wednesday night. We, we beat the, the Kraken. The Kraken. Oh, okay. Fun. Yeah, uh, so I've been a season ticket holder since before it was cool to be a Bruins fan. You know, this was <laughs> back in 08, and then, of course, 2011, same thing all over again. It became cool to be a Bruins fan. But, um, but yeah, so... The reason I bring that up is because I was looking forward to most going to see the Kraken live, and um, I, I never made it. So you got you once again. You got a chance to see something I didn't. So <laughs> yeah, well, you know they weren't that impressive. Although the uniforms are okay, uh, but uh, but yeah, I I do love uh, I do love my Blues and uh, and hockey in general and the Cardinals. I mean, I'm a supporter of all the St. Louis teams. Uh, but like you said, you know, with the baseball, you know, after we won a couple of World Series in 06 and 11, you know, I mean, I, we won a couple when I was a little kid, 82, 85, 85, we were in the series, we didn't win, 87 again. But, you know, I was so little, I was seven when we won our World Series here, you know. So to me, it was just like all about that celebration song and, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, after we won the baseball, I, I was a real heavy duty, you know, carpenter fan you know and chris carpenter and stuff like that and and after and he's from boston and or new hampshire i think and after uh after you know after they won i was just like well you know i guess i can we did it i guess i can let myself off the hook a little bit and not have to feel every out so deeply yeah you mentioned celebration song i was in the doctor's office probably two weeks ago and gloria came on and all of a sudden my heart rate got extremely escalated and she was like, what is going on? I go, turn the fucking music off. <laughs> no, I didn't say that, but I wanted to. No, yeah, the, the glorious song. Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I got entirely sick of it, too. It's not a great song to begin with. And, uh, but, but here's the thing. St. Louis loves something they can latch on to. We, we, love, we love anything that we can latch on to and feel like it's a trend and that, and that we're getting attention here in the Midwest in the flyover zone, you know? Uh, so anytime we get national coverage for something, everybody's going to buy it. Uh, but it is kind of annoying. We love that. We love a scrappy white dude at second base. And we really love something we can ooh at. By that, I mean, you know, let's go blue. Ah, or, that ooh. Or, or, or when uh, when Vila Husso makes a save, hoose. Or when Brian Elliott made a save, it was moose. We love an ooh. Uh, but, uh, but I tell you what I love is Formula One. That's really my new passion. Yep, and I was going to get to that as well. As I say, speaking of national coverage, we got something uh, down under coming up this weekend that we want to hear your insight about. Now, yes. I, when, I, when you had mentioned that you wanted to talk about it, I was like, great, I'm a casual fan. And turns out, I was like, I know a little bit. Turns out I know nothing. So I need you to explain to me like I'm five years old, mm-hmm. Formula One. All right, so basically Formula One, you know, it's uh, people look at it because the cars look a lot like Indy cars. They assume they're like Indy cars. They're really not. They don't race on any oval tracks. All the tracks are either road courses, more or less, although the only real road course left is Monaco. It's literally like in the streets of Monaco. Uh, But as a result, it's also not the most exciting race because it's very narrow and hard to manipulate and things like that. It's really more about qualifying. But anyway, I I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. The basics of Formula One are this. Uh, The FIA, which is the uh, association that governs Formula One and Formula Two and Formula Three and all the formulas, they they basically put out a manual that says, this is the car that you're allowed to make. These are the parameters for every piece on that car. The power unit, which is what they call the engine, uh, uh, their, their V6 engines, their hybrids, so they actually have like a, like a Prius, they actually recharge a battery and they can use that battery as like extra passing power and stuff like that. Um, but within these guidelines, the teams have leeway and they make their own cars. In, in a lot of cases, they're like hand making these cars. And a lot of these parts that they have for the cars are one off or one of two, things like that. There are 10 teams. 
uh, sponsored by different companies. So there's a McLaren team who makes supercars. There's a Ferrari team, which is the most legendary team. Mercedes has a team. Red Bull Energy Drinks has a very, very successful team. They have the reigning world champion on their team. Each team, there are 10 teams, has two cars. And within the team, you generally have sort of a lead driver and a second driver. Although within some of the teams, that's far more defined or far less defined. Um, and there are situations where like if your teammate is ahead of you and you need the points more than he does for the championship or what have you, they'll institute like what's called team orders where the guy in front has to give the position to the guy in back lest he might lose his job. Um, okay. But, but the, the Formula One basically is set up such that there's, there's the leading teams like Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari this year. Uh, and then there's the midfield teams, which are teams like Alfa Romeo and Alfa Tari and a few other teams in there. And then there's the back of the field, which is like your Haas and Williams. And But the thing is, every number of years, they change the regulations, and that's what's happened this year. For the last six, seven years, Mercedes has just been dominant. You couldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. Right. That was the um, one thing I actually knew about F1. I was like, Mercedes always wins, right? Mercedes always wins, and Lewis Hamilton specifically always wins. Lewis Hamilton, I describe him to people who don't know anything about Formula One. He's kind of like Tom Brady met Bill Elliott. He's like the most amazing driver uh, and the most popular driver, but he also never doesn't win. He wins constantly, or at least in the last six, seven years he had. Um, this year, the regulations have changed. They changed a lot of the aerodynamics on the car and things like that. So all the teams are kind of dealing from a brand new deck to some extent. You know, they still have a lot of uh, research and development into these cars and things like that. But the truth is, coming into this season, and we're all, this is only going to be the, the third race of 23, coming into this season, nobody really knew who was going to be at the front of the pack. There were a lot of ideas, there were a lot of rumors, but Ferrari has really, after being almost a midfield team for a few years now, Ferrari has really broken out and are way ahead, it seems, of Red Bull and Mercedes, who are the two closest competitors now. Um, Having said all that, it is still really early in the season, and the people in charge of Mercedes and Red Bull, uh, Toto Wolff and Max Verstappen, or uh, excuse me, and uh, Christian Horner, who are the pr team principals of Mercedes and Red Bull, aren't going to allow their teams to dwindle and dawdle behind. Something will happen to snap these things back into place, I'm pretty certain. Which brings me to the Australian GP. Are you following along so far? I'm with you. All right. I tend to monologue, so if you have to interject something, man, just let me know. Uh, the Australian GP. So in the first two races, you've pretty much had Ferrari dominance. Mercedes is kind of back there a little bit, but still in the front of the pack. And Red Bull sort of, well, the first race, Red Bull had some sort of an in engine problem, and both their cars did not finish. So that's not good news for them. But last race, Verstappen won, and Perez was like in the top six. Uh, they're the Red Bull drivers. So it is shaping up to be more or less Red Bull versus Ferrari at the front with Mercedes not too far behind. However, if you look at the gambling lines, which is what we're talking about here today, if you look at the gambling lines for the Australian GP, which is coming up on Sunday, uh, Lewis Hamilton, who is, you know, the Tom Brady of the sport, so to speak, the guy who never doesn't win, uh, Lewis Hamilton is currently plus 2,800 to win the race. That's to win the race, of course. Now, Hamilton is by far and away one of the best drivers in Formula One, and 28 to 1 odds on a 20-car field for a guy that's driving maybe the second or third quickest car out there is pretty sick odds. Yeah, that's definitely worth the fly all day. Yeah, I mean, I, I had it uh, last week. I put five that five bucks down on him at twenty to one, and thought I was cutting the fat hog. Yeah, but but you know, it went down to fourteen to one, and I'm like, uh huh. See, Vegas figured it out. They know, and then it went back up to twenty eight to one after I just watched the first two practice sessions. So every weekend, I kind of interrupted myself. But every weekend, there there's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is a race weekend. Friday is two sessions of practice. Uh, one hour each, the cars are allowed to go out there and more or less do whatever they want. Now, Saturday is qualifying, 
they have a practice session early in the morning, but they have to lock their car set up in at that time. It's called Park Ferme. And at that time, they can't change anything on the cars. They go into qualifying. Qualifying is uh, uh, the first round of qualifying is all 20 cars out there trying to make their best time. Then we lose five. The slowest five go away. Then those 15 go out there and they try to make their best time. And then we lose five more. And then there's a top 10 shootout for the pole. And I won't bore you with all the specific details of how the tires work and stuff, because that'll get in the weeds too much. But um, what's going to happen here is there's a very good chance this weekend, not only of, you know, taking a flyer on Lewis Hamilton, but the other thing that factors into F1 a lot of times or some of the time is weather. See, unlike NASCAR and a lot of other races, they, they race in the rain. You know, they strap wet shoes on these things and they go running. Uh, so when, when water, when rain happens, the impossible can become possible very quickly. Last year, a Williams, uh, which is like a back of the pack, ninth or 10th fastest car on the grid, uh, got second at a race strictly because it rained during qualifying. Uh, and the guy who was driving just had the lap of his life and hung it all, all out on the line and ended up qualifying in second place and ended up getting second in the race due to a comedy of what have you. But if it rains this weekend, Lewis Hamilton absolutely has a shot to be on the podium for second or third place and may win the race. So if I was making a recommendation to your gamblers out there, uh, you know, I, I've studied this a little bit. And, and a little bit about me, I am a, a, a longtime gambler. I've done some sports gambling. I work in a casino that has a sports book. I don't work for the sports book. Uh, I am a dealer. Uh, but, but I will say that, you know, I'm, I'm around this stuff enough. And here's what I would look at for Lewis Hamilton this weekend specifically. I'd throw five bucks or whatever your flyer bet is on them, 10, 20, what have you. 28 to one odds right now is ridiculous and if it rains during qualifying tomorrow that's going to drop i would bet to like 10 to 1 because his odds in the rain he's known as a rain guy he's from england um are going to be much much better uh, there'll be a few other drivers that the odds will drop too if it rains so that's something to keep an eye on so if you were going to make a bet today at 28 to 1 you may be cutting really good odds for yourself because by sunday morning before the race won't be there you know, the odds are going to be way down if it rains. The other thing that I would recommend doing is if you were going to make a, a, a parlay bet on the race, say, you know, you, you, you want you think Ferrari's going to have the best team result this weekend and you do a parlay with like Hamilton top six and Ferrari, you can use the odds on Hamilton being so heavy as a nice juice for that parlay to get your to get your number up there, you know, to get to get it really make some money for you. And that's what I would really recommend here. I mean, I would not recommend, you know, betting the farm on Hamilton this weekend. He's not likely to win, but he's certainly not 28 to 1 in my mind. And that's what we teach here. We're listening to Uncle Ron give us some insight here here on Bookie Nights. And that's that's what it's all about. It's about, you know, perceived value and giving people value. And and you just nailed it in your case. If if there's rain in the forecast, that 28 to 1 is going to go down to closer to 10 to 1. So yeah. if you like Lewis Hamilton at all, if you had any thoughts about doing it, do it today because there's a good chance it won't be there tomorrow. And there's a couple other guys too, if you're using them as, as teasers to help your line on a parlay. I would say George Russell, who's currently 65 to one to win the race, and Fernando Alonso, who's a two-time world champion and an old guy, but really, really a race veteran, got a lot of race craft. He's, he's, a, he's, he's wily. And again, if it rains, you know, all bets are off. Uh, that's the other thing here with, with Formula One is, you know, I was talking about there, there, there are no ovals. So the tracks are difficult and you can literally have situations. I mean, these races are 50, 60 laps long. These guys have to maintain laser focus for that entire time. And you can have this early in the season with brand new specs, you can have mechanical failures, you can have there were races last year where a guy took out six cars in, in the first curve, the first turn. So, you know, guys who were, who were thought they were going to win the race ended up wiped out in the first turn. And a guy who was supposed to finish like 12th or 14th won the race, you know, uh, Esteban Ocon won a race last year and nobody thought he would be on a podium, let alone win a race. So 
these are some of my tips for you. I, I do enjoy F1, my other persona online other than Cable was the Babysitter. And uh, please, if you like movies, watch my or listen to my podcast because uh, it's just a bunch of knuckleheads like this sitting around talking about the movies that made us who we are. Um, but I would strongly recommend considering throwing a little bet down on the F1. And even if you don't know anything about F1, just go look at some of the odds on these people. You know, here's what I know. The winner is probably going to be Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, or Carlos Sainz. Although, again, Carlos Sainz at plus 330. He's he's a Ferrari driver. He and Charles Leclerc, who's the favorite on the race. And both of them could easily win this race and at the very least make a podium, uh, you know, a, a top three. Um, so the odds on Sainz, we know he's probably not going to beat Leclerc because if there was a position where he's in first and Leclerc's in second, they probably let Leclerc buy or second and third, what have you. So he's probably going to outscore signs unless some weird thing happens. But again, his plus 330 odds could be an attractive thing to help a tease for a, for a parlay. Okay, so any value on the aforementioned uh, Ocon at plus 10,000 to win the race? No, that was a real one-off last year. Um, Ocon, I don't think there's a, a chance he wins the race at Pleston. I mean, it would have to be a catastrophe for somebody like Ocon or I'm a McLaren guy. I love Lando Norris. I love Daniel, Daniel Ricardo. Uh, and Ricardo's from Australia and no Australian has ever stood on the podium at an Australian GP. Um, so any value on the home, on the hometown guy? Again, McLaren is just so in the weeds right now. I can't figure a, a way that he makes it. Again, though, if it rains, and I say this a lot, but if it rains, any English guy is going to have an advantage because these guys grow up racing in the rain almost every weekend. I mean, it rains all the time in England. It's like Seattle over there. So, you know, you got Hamilton, you got Russell, you got Lando Norris. These guys, you know, are going to have a good chance. If you were going to take another flyer, though, not to make a podium or anything, but Kevin Magnuson uh, in the Haas has just come on, and the Haas has looked so much better this year than they ever had before. And I don't think the – I think there was a big snap reaction because he got, like, sixth in the first race, and nobody expected him to finish above fifteen. And after that, the odds on him went through the roof for the next race. But now they've come back down to where he's plus 15,000. You know, so he's 150 to one. But, you know, he's uh, for, what is it, a top, I'm looking here, a top 10 finish. You know, he's 120. I say that that's an easy, you know, 10, 20 bucks on that just to, just to double your money. Because I, I think he absolutely makes top 10. And maybe top six at plus 350. Again, if you're looking for something to juice up a parlay, might be nice. Kevin Magnuson. And so, just so I know I'm following along here, 20 yeah. cars total, correct? 20 cars total. All yeah. right, so a top but 10 the finish. Truth is, yeah, the truth is, yeah, top 10 finish is not impossible. It's top 50%. Um, and, and the truth is, there there is every possibility in a race like this, especially if it rains, you could have four or five DNFs did not finish. You know, people who crash out or people who have mechanical failure. Right. Like you, you know, said, so it, uh, the la the last race that it rained, was, you said what six cars taken out on the first turn? Yeah, yeah. The the one of the races where it it wasn't raining in that race actually. It was just oh a, okay. It was just a fluke where a guy you know they start from a standing start. It's not like NASCAR or something where they're going around in a circle. So they start on the grid and they mash the gas and away we go. You know, and when that happens, you have twenty cars all aiming toward basically a corner that's ahead of them right sometimes it's 500 meters sometimes it's 1.5 kilometers away sometimes it's like you know from here to the end of my driveway until they have to make this first turn you got 20 cars going from a standing start to let's say 150 or 160 miles an hour in two blocks and then they got to make a right turn immediately bad shit happened yeah a lot yep if you can make it through the first lap of any race without a wreck it's considered a success and here's the thing. If you want to get a little bit into F1, all right, I, I would encourage you. Uh, Netflix has a series. It's what brought me to Formula One a few years ago. It's called Drive to Survive, right? 
And it's basically a reality show based around Formula One. It's the real drivers and the real stories from, oh. I believe it starts about the 2017 or 2018 season and then goes through last season. There's four seasons of it. And it's, you know, it's hyperbolized, it's mediafied, it's it's reality show, right? So I was going to say, so there will be a little little bit of uh, hyperbole there. There's there. production. Yeah. They, they, move, they move things that people say around, you know, this guy didn't say this here, he said it here, but it makes more drama if he said it here. You're damn right. Like You're damn right. But, but I will say that you get a real inside look at how Formula One works. And for me, I literally grew up despising auto racing. But... The uh, this happened like a couple of years ago. My mom was up visiting, and I thought, you know, she likes racing. I'll put something on Netflix. So I put this thing on, and I started getting into it. Next thing you know, she's gone, and I'm finishing the series. And, and you're still Netflix. watching it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the other thing is, if you have ESPN, uh, if you go to the ESPN app, you can watch like qualifying and practices. And a lot of these races take place in Europe, or in this case, in Australia. So in actuality, these races are happening like. Like the race on Sunday is actually going to happen at midnight on Sunday, my time. And how long you know, does the how long does the race usually last? Hour and a half, two hours. They're actually relegated to a three hour time window, so a race can't last longer oh, than three hours. But it, now is that something new? No. Oh, that's no. always been like that. It, it's always been like that, but you know how they can also start and stop the clock. So in, in a case of rain, they can be like, okay, well the race isn't going to start on time. Okay. It'll get pushed. It'll get pushed. Um, and they also race at night in some cases. They just came off of a, a race in Saudi Arabia where they were racing at night. And it's really cool because the cars are so low to the ground that when they get going really fast and the downforce pushes them down to the ground, sparks actually fly up. Oh, and you'll car. see it. Yeah. And at night, especially, it's it's electrifying. You know, you see cars flying. And, and now they've also, although I think they overuse it because it's a new toy, they also have a helmet cam. You know, they have cameras all over these cars. So the coverage of the races is fantastic. You know, you see angles that you never imagine. It's like you're riding in the car sometimes. And they've taken that a step further and they put a tiny pin camera in the helmet of a bunch of the drivers. So sometimes they go to this helmet view cam and now it's not exactly what they see because, you know, you can't see through the visor as well as they can because it's a camera, not your eyes. But I mean, you're literally, you're thinking these guys are like in a car and they can see everything. No, what they see is basically like this much of the racetrack. And there's a thing right in the middle of it because there's a halo that goes over their head to keep them from dying if they flip over. And I mean, what they see is incredible. They're doing this 80% on instinct and, and, and muscle memory and repetition of doing practice lap after practice lap on a simulator. They, they can't see shit. And when it rains, it's even worse. Oh yeah. That's, that's the main reason the rain, it's not just the slickness and things like that. These cars have such high downforce and the tires are so high tech. They can actually move more water out of the way than you could put in front of them. What kills them in the rain is they can't see anything and they can't stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suffer from night blindness, and when it's when it rains, it's it's even worse. Forget so I, I totally understand that. Four eyes and none of them work over here. Hmm. No, I'm, I'm with you. I have the same problem. I, I uh, you know, when I when I leave work at three thirty in the morning, I'm generally like one of the only people on the road. But on happier news, Formula One is back, and I'm as excited as ever about it. Uh, and and they the the reason that they made the regulation changes was. For a lot of the years in the past six years, passing was almost impossible. Like the only time you'd see passing on the track was when somebody had way better tires than the other or somebody had a way better car than the other and they just happened to be behind the guy behind them, you know, for whatever reason. But they've, it, they've changed the aerodynamics. The problem was cars used to get caught in what was called dirty air. So when you come up behind a guy, you couldn't get too close to him so that you can get around him. Because you got this dirty air and your downforce, which is what keeps you on the ground, uh, your downforce wouldn't be as good. So you had to be further back, which meant when you tried to pass the guy, you really had to get a run on him to pass him. And tracks just aren't designed that way. Now they've made it to where the aerodynamics are different and guys are actually able to get up on the ass of the guy in front of them and then take the moment to zip around them when they have that extra burst of speed. But if you just have ESPN and you want to check it out, you know, Sunday when you're doing nothing, throw it on watch the race it's a lot of fun also i would encourage you watch the first couple episodes of drive to survive i think it'll hook you just with the personalities and 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 the technology 
So Drive to Survive is the hard knocks of F1, if you will. That's exactly what it is. Okay. It is, it is like, it, yeah, it's like, welcome welcome to F1, rookie. You know, yeah. It, it's and they, But they don't do a great job, in my opinion, of, explaining a lot of the intricacies you have you still are left to your own devices for that like they talk about something all the time in the first season called drs and drs this drs that you have overtake available you hear it all the time on the series and i didn't know what the hell it was turns out drs stands for drag reduction system and what it is is in certain points of the racetrack if you are within one second of the guy in front of you you can hit a button on your wheel and your, your rear wing will open up so that more air can get through, less downforce. You use this on like a straight to get past somebody. And what it basically does is adds about 10 miles per hour to your car because you're taking this drag and you're eliminating it for a moment. Pretty interesting. Absolutely. Um, but I didn't know what the hell that was. I had to go look it up. So that, that, that would be my one complaint is they don't do a great job of giving you that primer of some of the technical aspects. Oh, so they, they just sort of assume that, okay, you're watching this, you know exactly what all of this means type of thing. Right. I think when they designed it, they designed it for the F1 fan to come and learn more about their drivers. But what I think actually happened more so than that, because a lot of the hardcore F1 people kind of despise it because they make it seem like there are rivalries where there aren't. Right, stuff. right. But uh, I will say that what they actually accomplished was to bring a whole lot of new eyes to F1 because a they different, sure completely different fan base. Totally. I yeah. never would have watched a single F1 race had I not watched an episode of that. And I'm willing to admit that. So it's the other thing is that it, it, it is sports at a time of year and at a time of day when there really are none. You know, there's nothing else to watch on a, on a Sunday morning. Watch an F1 race. Watch an F1 race, and I tell you what, Uncle Ron, why don't we recap all of your bets for today uh, before yeah. we uh, before we say goodbye? Absolutely, man. So, like I was saying, if you want to just throw a flyer bet out there, Lewis Hamilton at twenty eight to one, I think is great. And, and truthfully, you know, you can tell his odds are better than what they're expecting. They're really trying to get money on that twenty eight to one. Because if you look at his t- his odds on winning are 28 to 1, but he's minus 225 for top six and minus 700 for top 10. So, you know, they know that he's going to be a factor in this race. They're just trying to get as much money as they can on the win because they know that that's highly unlikely. But again, rain in the forecast is definitely worth some money. And if you put, if you put your flyer bet on him, I think, you know, you've got at least a chance to win, unlike a lot of bets. So uh, a flyer bet on Hamilton to win. Uh, and I think also if you wanted to use uh, Hamilton, George Russell, Carlos Sainz, or Kevin Magnuson as sweeteners for a parlay uh, for like a top six or a top 10 finish in the case of Magnuson, Again, you're not wasting your money. I think these are value bets that can add something. If you wanted to make, say, like Ferrari to have the most points in the race, so their their team overall, the two cars, because they're killing it this year, Ferrari to have the most points in the race and Lewis Hamilton top six, I'd be willing to bet that's like a plus 350, plus 400 bet. So, you know, you're making good money on that if that hits, and that's every chance on earth that one's going to happen. So something along those lines, or, you know, we haven't talked about Max Verstappen, who is the reigning world champion and in the Red Bull car. Max Verstappen at plus 160, I am probably going to put 20 bucks on him to win this race because every expectation that either he or Charles Leclerc is going to win this race. And Verstappen is like that rare driver who's just laser focused, will not let anything get in his way. Uh, he is the hungriest guy on the track every race, and he's got a car to make it happen. So I say, my, you know, Hamilton to win as a flyer, and Hamilton, Russell, Alonzo, and Signs, Andor, Magnuson. You know, even if you wanted to make like a parlay bet with those guys and just say, okay, I think these three guys are all going to get in the top 10 Alonzo, Hamilton, and, you know, Magnus and throw him in there to get the odds really up there. I think those bets are, are where you would have the best chance to make a significant amount of money on a small investment. Thanks again, Uncle Ron. And uh, the lines we were referring to, you could find those on DraftKings. And once again, get to those early because the chances are once the, the forecast comes out for 
um, for Sunday's race, they are going to go down or up, you know? So well, and the lines are, the lines are going to change after qualifying too. You know, once the qualifying happens at midnight tonight. So by the time I wake up tomorrow, the lines will pretty well be set short of the, the weather forecast. The lines will pretty well be set. So after qualifying, you will see, you know, let's say it rains during qualifying and Hamilton ends up in second place. His odds to win this race are going to go from, you know, 28 to one, which is what they are right now, down to like, you know, six to one. Insane. Because because uh, he will already be at the front of the pack and it's raining. And those are two things you can't overcome in Albert Park, Australia. All right. And so after after you're done watching UFC Saturday night, keep it on the ESPN app and then switch over to F1. And then Absolutely. you can check out all of these bets that you heard today on Bookie Nights. And uh, we'll be right back with more of uh, UFC bets. Uncle Ron, thanks again for coming out. And tell the people where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me again, Gally. Uh, so I am at CWTB Podcast on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You know, we it's just me and my buddy John. We sit around and we talk about uh, movies that were always on cable in the 80s. So, you know, we've done like Better Off Dead and we've done Smokey and the Bandit. And some of them are all-time classics, and some of them just aren't. And some of them held up way better. Like, my, my buddy John had a thing he told me during one of our podcasts. He said, if you had told me going into this that we would watch Smokey and the Bandit and Stripes, and I would have a better feeling about Smokey and the Bandit than Stripes at the end of it, I would have called you crazy. But absolutely, that's the case. Smokey and the Bandit held up so much better than Stripes. Stripes was already dated when it came out in 1981. So, uh, and, and Smokey and the Bandit's timeless. It's about truckers and CBs. Those things still exist. Guys, go check them out and um, subscribe. And you can, you can hear me on a future episode very, very soon. Once again, thanks a lot, Uncle Ron. Yeah, we're going to get you over there, man. Thanks for having me. Have a you great got day. it. Bobby, let's take Bobby, these people take back. These people back. <laughs> All right, guys, big thanks to Uncle Ron for joining us earlier today. And uh, now we're going to get right into the main card. Up first, we have Vince Pichel versus Mark Madsen. Vince Pichel is minus 115. Madsen, the slight underdog at minus 105. Marco, who do you like? I think I like Pichel. I think uh, Mark Madsen, he's undefeated. I think he won a silver medal at the Olympics in wrestling. But he's very, uh, he's not very well-rounded. He's just an excellent wrestler. And Shell, Vince from Help Shell, he is very well-rounded. I think he might have a good game plan, but who knows? He could just get taken down a bunch of times and it could be a boring fight. But I think he's going to have knees. He's going to have uppercuts. He's going to have a good game plan. I like him, but... I might, I might look stupid if uh, Mark Madsen can just get nonstop takedowns like he's done before. I don't know. I, I think the only problem Pichel's going to have is fucking making weight with that glorious mustache that he has there. That thing's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but other than that, I, I don't really have a dog in this fight. Up next, we have Tisha Torres and Mackenzie Dern. A lot of hype behind Mackenzie Dern lately. She is the minus 120 favorite, Tisha Torres, right now at even money. Any uh, opinion on this fight here? I watched the weigh-ins, and uh, Dern looked, like, fucking ripped. And Tisha Torres, she's kind of like a gatekeeper. Like, she's never going to win the title. Mackenzie Dern could. Her body looks different. She looks determined. I like Dern. No love for Torres from Mako. He's going with Mackenzie Dern at minus 120. She's going to look to avenge her last loss um, against Rodriguez this past October. Uh, apparently, Torres has her work cut out for her. Yeah. So now we go to the, the three big fights here. And um, this, and by the way, this fight we're about to talk about could easily, easily headline this event. It's uh, Chemaev versus Gilbert Burns. Chemayev is finally getting a, a good test here in, in Gilbert Burns. 
But I mean, Chemaev, minus 490 favorite. Burns, plus 360. Talk to me. I think the hype is inflating the odds for Chemaev. And I love Chemaev. I think, like, I want him to win. I think he's got a good personality. He's very skilled. I think he's one of the best, uh, like, young up-and-comers in the UFC. Burns, however, has a lot of experience. He's fought for the title. Uh, he beat Woodley, who's a former champ. He beat Maya, who's a legend. I think the odds are disrespectful. I don't really want to bet Burns' money line, but if you want to take him by sub at, like, plus 1,000, that's a fun prop. What, Bur- his- Burns by sub? Yeah, I think I think his only advantage is jujitsu. I think he's smaller. He's not as strong. Uh, Shmev has better wrestling. Probably hits harder. I think Burns' only shot is by sub. Gilbert Burns plus one thousand submission. Um, I tell you what, I think uh, I think there's great value on the overhead. The total is at one and a half rounds, and I think you know Burns is a veteran. He's gonna He's going to be failing him out. He's going to want to go, you know, he's going to want to take Chemayev the distance. Um, not sure he's going to, but he's going to want to, you know, and I think he might be doing a lot of running around the first round. So I'm going to go with the over one and a half at minus 120. That's horrible. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, th- you think it's going to be, you think it's going to be over quick? Yeah. I think if, if uh, Shmaev wins, it's probably pretty early, and then you have the submission threat. I don't know. I don't know about this one. Even even odds. I w- I wouldn't go on the over. Well, I'm, that's where I'm heading. I'm all, I'm not gonna fucking all bet right. Shmaev minus three ninety. That's for damn sure. Oh. If you're gonna take Burns at plus a thousand, I'll I'll be willing to take a little bit of juice on the over at minus one twenty. And this is one of the fights that I hate betting on because I'm biased. Like I want, I want Shmaev to win. I want Shmaev. I want to see Shmaev versus Usman. I want, I want, you know, like I think he could be champ someday. But the odds are so fucking disrespectful, man. I, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. The odds here, uh, I, in my opinion, these odds are not disrespectful at all. Aljamain Sterling, Peter Yan, part two. Peter Yan, minus 450 favorite. Aljamain Sterling, plus 340, the underdog. He's he's the champ. And he's the champ because of a technicality? You know what I mean? We all know who won that fucking fight. I mean, it, it was it was Peter Yan. It wasn't even close. Do you, do you think Sterling exaggerated after that illegal knee? Do you think he exaggerated? I did. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. Uh, that's I, what, yeah, that's what Yan has been saying. That's his fucking. At at first, at first glimpse, it looked like he was one hundred percent acting. I'm not saying he wasn't hurt or wasn't dazed. He was gassed. He was uh, like super gassed. Right. I'm also he not saying. Acting, but I'm also not saying he didn't deserve to win. Those are the rules. Yan broke the rules. Uh, Sterling is the champ. But again, do I think it was exaggerated? A little. Do I think he was hurt? Absolutely. Do I think he was gassed? Absolutely. Yeah. But either way, I'm not taking the minus 450. I'm going to go with the over-under on this is four and a half rounds. I think this is over. I think this is over fucking way. I think it's over within three, to be quite honest. So if you're going to give me the under four and a half at even money, I'm taking that one million percent of the fucking time. I like that. Hey, we agree on something. Yeah. <laughs> Sterling was so gassed in that first fight. He's coming off neck surgery. And I read that he was crying at the weigh-in. Not the ceremonial weigh-in, the first, like the actual one. Really? He was like crying, like saying, like, I never thought I'd come back from neck surgery or whatever. No, I think he was crying because he was like, this is my last day with the fucking belt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's why he was he crying. Was faking again? Yeah, no, I think he was like, yo, this is my last day with the rail belt, so... uh you know what? I enjoyed yeah, like, it. That was about his surgery and all that, like you know. He he definitely he definitely uh, he milked that that uh, that injury for sh- not injury. Sorry, that's that's bad to say. He just had surgery. He milked that um, that knee, one million percent. 
So last and final fight of the night, we have the Korean zombie taking on Alex Volkanovsky. Apparently this guy can't be fucking stopped. I thought I thought Ortega had a, a great shot at it. Fucking no such luck. Volkanovsky's a house. Ortega almost, almost got it. Yeah, I know. Really good submissions in that I fight. know. Like, he threw the fucking kitchen sink at him, and as far as, you know, the, 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 the choke was is concerned... And I was like, oh, God, here it comes. He's going to tap. Nope. He's like, yeah, maybe next time. Volkanovski, minus 720. Korean Zombie, plus 500. Holy crap. Talk to me. I kind of like the zombie. I mean, Volkanovski is like, like, what? He's never been beat in the UFC. I don't know. I feel like it's one of those uh, when they start to feel invincible. Nunez just lost her belt. Like, I have that same feeling. So I mean, is that is that what you're gonna go with? You're gonna go with the, the zombie at plus five hundred? You think there's value there? I don't know. It's it, it, it's a tough one, man. It's like those money line odds aren't worth it. Like if you're going for the favorite, the odds you said were crazy. I mean, I have Volkanovski at minus five twenty. DraftKings has him at minus seven twenty, and Korean Zombie plus five hundred. I'd say you have you have value betting the dog at those odds because I have minus five twenty to plus three fifty five. That's a crazy difference. That's an insane difference. That. that that's a substantial difference. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to do some crazy math in my head to see if there's any arbitrage value either way. Yeah, but exactly, we could do arbitrage <laughs> on this. But um, I was thinking the same thing, man. But yeah, again, I have no particular opinion on this. I just want to see a good fight. I would like to see a finish. Typically with the with the lighter guys, you don't necessarily see finishes. It's usually uh uh it's usually a um, you know, it's usually a decision. And I hate seeing that, especially for a main event. But anyways, total here is at four and a half rounds, shaded towards the over at minus one forty five. Any opinion on the total? I see this being a war. Both, both guys like to stand and punch. I think it's a bit of a tough matchup for Volkanovski on the feet. You know, I think uh, I think the zombie has good uppercuts, good knees. You compare that to Volkanovski's style, I, it's tough, you know? Like, he keeps his chin pretty open. He's not very tall. I think the zombie's going to come out with a lot of uppercuts. We all know why Korean zombie's called Korean zombie, because he gets hit in the face and just keeps walking. And he'll walk he'll walk at you like a like a fucking dead man. I'm just baffled by the difference in odds we have. Like usually we're pretty close. What did you say? He's like plus five hundred on your- I have him at plus five hundred on DraftKings, yep. I might ask you to place a bet for me, man. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. Plus five hundred, I'd totally take it. I have this feeling that the zombie's gonna land an uppercut. Maybe not knock him out, but it's going to, I don't know. He's got such good uppercuts, and I feel like Volkanovski is really open to uppercuts. I just, I just have a feeling about this one, man. Not going to fault you for having a feeling. I mean, Korean Zombie, he's finished nearly half of his fights by submission, so if he does ding him with one of those upper, uppercuts that you had mentioned, then it, it leaves it leaves the neck open. It leaves uh, submission, uh, you know, any, think, any sort of submission that, open. Yeah, the, the fight with Ortega proves that Volkanovski doesn't tap. Like you have to, you have to fucking put him to sleep. sleep. I think that fucking guillotine from Ortega was deep, and he did like you could see his body language. He didn't even think of tapping. He just like outlasted him, and then like I think right after he got that triangle. I don't know. This might be a five round war and way more competitive than people think. I I think these odds are stupid. I lean the over at minus one forty-five. Not, but I again, I'm not betting it. That's that's even too juicy for me. Even though the past combined five fights between the two of them have gone the distance, I think over four and a half at minus one forty-five is still too juicy for me. But I have zombie plus twenty-two hundred in round one. What the fuck is your book, man? This is DraftKings. This is a Jesus. Well, yeah, take that. Put a buck on that. Seriously. He has a lot of first-round finishes, no? Well, he knocked out Frankie Edgar first round. Yep. Knocked out Moicano first round. 2,200, that's crazy. Dennis Bermudez first round. Hits hard, man. He's probably, like, the hardest hitter that Volkanovski's faced. He's got so- a dumb power for that, for that, for, like, 
not only the division but like his body type he, he he looks skinny even for 145 but he just he's got this fucking uppercut man okay so what would you put your money on take a flyer on if you will i mean based off these crazy odds you don't want to take money line on either one of the fighters here um so you uh, I, 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 at the odds you've got i'd take money line zombie yeah and also sprinkle first round and sprinkle first round at plus 2200 yeah, those odds are absolutely insane. That's like double the odds I have. I think we're proving that you need to shop odds in the UFC. I mean, shop odds in general, no matter no matter what sport you're betting on. Find, you know, check out. I personally have three different books that I go through um, in, addition to, in addition to DraftKings. And you will find, uh, you will find some discrepancies on all three. Guys, and just to recap our bets, Mako, you like the over one and a half rounds in the Olenek uh, Vendera fight, minus 115. Mickey Gall, money line at plus 165. I like, I personally like Mickey Gall by sub at plus 350, but either way, it's something that you and I agree on. You have uh, Pichel at minus 115, Mackenzie Dern at minus 120. And uh, no real opinion on on the Burns Chimaev fight, but you said Burns by sub pl- at plus a thousand could be worth a little sprinkle. Um, I like the over one and a half rounds at minus one twenty. You think it's dog shit, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> I like the under four and a half rounds uh, at even money in the Peter Yan and Sterling fight, and you uh, you sort of gave me the head nod on that one. And uh, you like zombie round one plus 2,200. Well, you don't love it, but you think that it holds some value there. You think that Volkanovski... I think your book has stupid odds on this fight. I also like the money line at your odds. Uh, money line plus 500, yeah. So according to Bet365 and DraftKings, the zombie is at sitting right now at plus 500. That could change in the next 12 hours or so. We are recording this on Friday night at 630 Eastern Standard Time. But uh, if you want to see any more of our bets, follow us on Twitter. He's at Mako Bankroll. I'm at Galley Gambles. And be sure to follow our guest today, uh, Uncle Ron. He is at CWTB Podcast. And uh, check out his podcast, uh, Cable Was the Babysitter. Uh, follow my buddy John at Sense of Shelf Pod. And follow my buddy Ben at EnlightenedPod1, and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening.